0: Hey, Envisionaries. We're starting this week off with some exciting news. We are so thrilled to announce that Envision Freedom Fund has been chosen as a recipient for the 2023 Anthem Awards presented by the Webbys. This award recognizes our bond and post-release program under their human and civil rights category. You know, we're being honored for our work to pay bond and free people from immigration detention and act as a bridge between them and the resources that they need to thrive in their freedom post-release. Thank you so much, Anthem Awards, for this incredible honor. And thank you to our team at Envision Freedom for their deep dedication to this work. And now, on to the show. We are joined by Cassandra Frederick from Drug Policy Alliance. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about racist and destructive policies, like what we've seen throughout the war on drugs, which um, is especially pertinent because um, we're recording this during Black History Month and we know the war on drugs was um, in many ways a war on Black people. And so um, just to start, Cassandra, first, welcome. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work um, that you do at Drug Policy
1: Alliance? Sure. Um, So I am so excited to be here and be in conversation with you. Um, I'm really grateful for the work that Organization does and your leadership in particular, Carl. I'm Cassandra. I am the executive director at Drug Policy Alliance. I am a first generation Haitian American and I am a New Yorker. I am from the borough of Manhattan. I was schooled here. I went to college in the state of New York. I have a brother who I love very much. So I'm an older sibling as well. And then my Training is in that of union organizing and social work. So that's a bit about me. I have family members who have been impacted by the drug war, either through use or either through sales. Um, And I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm very much a boring person um, besides like my love for TV. I would say, you know, I have the great honor and privilege of working at the Drug Policy Alliance for over a decade, and I've become the executive director in the last two and a half years. And Drug Policy Alliance is a national organization that works on ending the criminalization associated with drugs. And that includes everything from the criminalization associated with drug use, but also the association with like, really one of the things that we're leaning into is just the broader framework of drug prohibition and how that has shaped so many uh, other systems and also the life experiences of so many people. So oftentimes I think people, when they think about ending the war on drugs, they rightfully think about people who use drugs, but there are also, and there are also so many other people that are impacted by prohibition that need our attention as well. And so, you know, DPA is really looking at the conversation around what does regulation look like? What does it mean to do transitional justice with people who sell drugs? How do we take responsibility for the work that the U.S. is doing in exporting draconian drug policies? How is it impacting other countries? Um, And how does that shape the everyday experience of people living in the U.S.?
0: You mentioned the word there that I'm sure people have not heard since they were kids, the word prohibition, um, which, you know, even I myself, you know, just never thought of it that way. But that's exactly what we're talking about here. Um, and, you know, during the 80s, when I was growing up, we heard about this idea of a war on drugs. And it was a big thing on television. There was like the whole egg, um, the commercial with the egg. <laughs> this is your brain on j- drugs. And, you know, I remember he- seeing Nancy Reagan on television talking about it. Um, and since then, though, you know, uh, fortunately, in many ways, folks have started to recognize that that war on drugs was not a good thing. It was not a war that we should have been fighting or should be fighting. Can you explain to our listeners what the war on drugs is and how it's evolved since it was first coined
1: back in the seventies? You know, I think the war on drugs, when I think about it, it's a political intervention, right? So it was a political choice that has had devastating ramifications because it created an infrastructure of surveillance punishment, stigma, and criminalization. And in some cases, death. And what that looks like is we decided that instead of talking to people about drugs in a way that was science-based, evidence-driven, rights-centered, we decided to shame people that use drugs. And we decided to use the biggest tool that we had, which was criminalization, to really go after people And a lot of this was done in the framework of trying to protect communities, um, trying to save people from themselves. And what we found is that it was a political tool by politicians to control certain groups of people. And that has actually always been the case even before President Richard Nixon, all the way back to the 1800s where the first US drug laws were used to target and control Asian people In California, right? And I think one of the things that people don't realize is that our first drug laws were not only racist in tone, they were were xenophobic, right? Like there were forms of figuring out how to control not um, white folks, right? Like these Asian folks, they came here, they built the railroad, and now we don't actually really want them to be a part of society. So how do we keep them contained? And we see that over and over again with what kinds of drugs were criminalized, how like the propaganda that they pushed out, it it has always been a political tool. And you see it even now today with the way that they have criminalized and stigmatized like fentanyl, right? Like the conversation of fentanyl and the ways that um, fentanyl has been used by former President Trump, the way that it's being used by presidents from before. They've always used drugs as a way to, marshal the resources for law enforcement to instill this level of fear so that the general public could be more pliable for policies that they're trying to push forward. They have seriously used drugs as a way, as kind of like the Trojan horse, right? Like they're going to focus on drug scares so they can do other things, right? Like drugs are going to be the thing that they push in front so that they can have other conversations behind the the scenes. And so when I talk to people about the war on drugs, I often say like, you know, it is about the substances and there are very real issues associated with public health and people that are struggling with addiction. But a lot of it is about how has the government used um, drugs to erode the rights of people, to control certain groups of people, Mm -hmm. and also to kind of push the foreign policy and trade agreements um, that they think are necessary in parts outside of the US. And so the war on drugs is completely, is largely political, using health um, and morality um, as talking points to push forward an agenda that really is about strengthening um, the control of certain people.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's funny, like, we like to say there's no magic bullet. Well, the war on drugs really was a magic bullet for, for, you know, for folks that wanted to oppress certain communities, they wanted to rid um, neighborhoods of certain, quote unquote, types of people. Um, and we've seen it used. Um, You know, we've seen it used to exclude immigrants and to criminalize immigrants. We've seen it used, uh, when I was a public defender, um, a lot of people don't realize that, but if someone in your household had a drug conviction, you could be evicted from public housing. And so we've, yeah, we've seen it used. It's been used in so many different ways. I know the DPA has an initiative called Uprooting The drug war um, and that it exposed the ways that the war on drugs intersects with these other systems of oppression can you talk to us a bit about that
1: so my background is in social work right and so our focus has always been at been about looking at the broader system and i think oftentimes when people think about the war on drugs they rightly think of the criminal legal system like how many people are being arrested how many people are in jail or in prison how many people that are struggling with addiction behind bars The way that they use drugs to force people into solitary confinement, a lot of people don't realize that that conversation is also, that those conversations are connected. Uh, The way that uh, drug prohibition is so incentivized that oftentimes the people that are bringing drugs into uh, secure facilities are the people that work at secure facilities, right? And not outside people, but they tend to blame visitors and family members and try to restrict outside connection, using drugs as a way to control the people that are inside, even though it's people that work in the system that are bringing drugs into the into the facilities, which was really proven during COVID when visits were uh, shortened, but for the, the seizures had increased. People, That's what people think about, because that's also what we see on TV, right? Like when we have conversations or have shows about drugs, the conversation always leads to the criminal legal system. And yet- The amazing thing about the infrastructure of the drug war is that it has become so normative in today's society. People think like, this is just always the way it's been. But the drug war is a set of intentional decisions by our policymakers, not just in the criminal legal system, but in the housing system, in the child welfare system, in the public benefit system, in the school system, in the immigration system. It's not just like the war on drugs was declared and the criminal justice system was like, cool, we'll take the lead. Each system decided how they were going to take on the war on drugs, how they were going to enforce it so that we're in a situation where if people are either living in public housing, a conviction of someone living in the house can evict the whole home or how in particular drug charges ban you from being able to go into public housing um, or the ways that, you know, public housing in the name of public health can potentially evict people if they're smoking cigarettes, right? Like all these things that these housing authorities has have thought through how they want to implement the war on drugs there. You know, when it comes to immigration, I think one of the things that we've learned a lot from our immigration allies Um, from organizations like Baji and IDP and ILRC has really been how the immigration system took the drug war and then supercharged the immigration system, right? So things that seem like a slap on the wrist for people around cannabis are things that make it impossible for someone to be on a pathway to citizenship in the US or supercharges their, their risk to being deported. Right? And those are things that we often don't talk about, but that we need to talk about because those are part of the harms of the drug war, right? Deportation is a harm of the drug war. And so when people have the conversations about drug war reparations, what is the reparations for a family that has been split up? Uh And what does that actually look like, right? So part of our project of uprooting the drug war is really to expose the additional system actors that are part of enforcing the drug war, understanding that nurses, doctors, teachers, um, counselors, all these people have also um, signed up to be enforcers of the drug war. And if they've not signed up, they are complicit in it. And so when we're having conversations about end the drug war, it's not just police, district attorneys, and judges. It's let's talk about the principals who have these zero tolerance policies in schools. One of the biggest reasons why kids are getting expelled from schools or suspended is for cannabis possession. Sure, we can have a conversation about the role of drugs in schools, but we can also have a conversation about how these, how schools are supposed to be places of learning and not places of surveillance Mm -hmm. or criminalization, right? And that we're having conversations about drug sniffing dogs, metal detectors, running through the privacy of our young people in the name of drugs, but we don't understand or don't wanna talk about or account for the harms that are associated with that. We're not having conversations about how people who are um, parenting have, the high, have um, a growing rate of overdose, pregnant people, because of the criminalization associated with it, because they're fearing working with their doctors in hospitals because they don't want to be honest with them because they know that it would take their kids away. Right? So it's really about how many people are enforcing this because for the drug war to be going on for so long, to have the extensive amount of damage that it's had, it needs more people than the police and the district attorneys and the judges and the correctional officers. It needs everyday people that are in systems and institutions that are supposed to help who are actually harming people. And so that is why we really launched our work on uprooting the drug war was to really expose and identify all the system actors that are upholding the drug war, because it's only until we can fully see it that we can actually end it.
0: You know, there's so many ways that we could go from that answer. Um, But I think I want to touch on, you know, you started um, alluding to the idea that we should see drug use as a health issue. Um, I know, you know, even from my end, it's hard to imagine what it would look like if we truly treated drug use the way that we treat diabetes or the way that we're starting to treat mental health issues, like really as like a health issue. Can you talk to us about what it would mean to treat drug use as a health issue and not uh, you know not a, a not a problem um, that falls within the scope of the criminal legal system.
1: I love that you asked me this question. Um, and I love it because this is very much a refrain that is being used um, in the service of progressive drug reform. I think overall, drugs, are a rights issue. People should have the right to make choices about what they put in their own body. It is an issue of bodily autonomy. Full stop. And in that issue, there are the possibilities for health implications that we should support. But part of the reason why I say drugs are an issue of bodily autonomy is because I think it's important for us to challenge the idea that if something is a health issue, that it is neutral, because the health system is also a system that criminalizes, stigmatizes, punishes, right? We see this in the fact that Black people who can give birth are dealing with such incessant stigmatization that they can't make it through childbirth without dying. And that doesn't matter how much money you have, right? Regardless of class, regardless of resource, the fact that you are a Black person who can give birth puts you in a situation that is seriously precarious. That's a health issue. The fact that people are struggling to pay medical bills because of the corporatization and the commodification of health That is also an issue, right? So for me, when I think about part of the reason we did the uprooting the drug war is that I think it's important for us as we think about the future after the drug war, when we end the drug war, we want to make sure that we don't just move drugs from the criminal legal system to solely the health system that also contains the coercive, surveilling, punishing, criminalizing institutions as well. And so while I do think that there are issues associated with drugs that are better suited to be navigated through and intervene through a health lens. I think the overall issue of drugs is that of rights. Like I have a right to use drugs. If someone has a right to use drugs and they have a problem, right? They struggle with it, they're navigating um, addiction or dependence, then that the way we interact with that should be through a health intervention that does not jeopardize or deprioritize the person's agency or autonomy. And so when people say we should treat drugs as a health issue, not a criminal legal system issue, I agree and not every drug issue is a health issue, but every drug issue is a rights issue. It's either the right to bodily autonomy it's the right to health care. It's the right to economic justice. Right. Because people don't want to talk about the fact about what are the choices and incentives for people to be a part of the drug trade. That is an economic justice issue. Right. So people are saying you don't have the right to sell drugs, but they don't have a conversation about why they don't have the access to be a part of an economy that works for them, that they have actually been shut out of economy. That's not everyone who sells drugs, but that's a large part of people who sell drugs. They're not able to be a part of the economic system that we have. So people are part of informal economies, right? And we've seen informal economies, especially in the immigrant community, where people get shut out from being in the formalized economy. So people create informal economies, either the lady who's selling churros on the side, the guys that are selling bags on the street, or the people that are selling selling herb down the block. All those groups are criminalized, but none of those people are given a foray into coming into the economic system. So what are the economic rights of people who are selling drugs if we want to move them away from that industry?
0: That, that makes complete sense. Like drug use could be a health issue, but it's of a health issue if you want it to be a health issue. That's right. That's it. Like it's up to you. You have bodily autonomy and you know, it might be a health issue. But you know, for a lot of people, it's an economic issue. Um, It's, uh, it's, it's other issues. There are a lot of um, interrelated issues that, you know, uh, we don't, I mean, we could do a whole episode on that, like, we don't tend to think of like, problems that we face and how they're interrelated. Yeah, but um, that is such a good point that you made there. And I've never heard anyone articulated that way, like the, you know, the refrain that, We should treat drug use as a health issue is very, very common these days, Um, even within our movements. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's it's just not complete. Yeah, it's just not complete.
1: And it's important because I think one of the things that I feel like criminalized populations have to be always at the ready on is the danger of pathology. So what is the pathology that we are allowing to be created or the pathologies that's being put upon us in order for people to uh, recognize the dignity of our demands? Right. Like, what do I have to trade in order for you to agree that I have the ability to be a dignified human being? right? And I think multiple movements have navigated that, right? Like the immigration movement had to navigate like the good immigrant, bad immigrant, like in order for me to have a pathway to make the choice to live in this country, I need you to see that I'm good and I'm not like that person, right? Or even the Black rights space, right? Like in order for you to see that I am a worthy individual, you, you know, I have to always be unarmed when I'm engaging with law enforcement. Because if I'm armed, then yes, I should not be treated with dignity and humanity, right? And so what I'm saying around drugs is like, I'm just saying it's an incomplete conversation and that we shouldn't accept that pathology because in the acceptance of that pathology, we, we concede points that we actually need. Because if it's solely a health issue, right? then the people that don't present with health issues why are they being forced to go to treatment or if someone is struggling with addiction and they say, i don't want treatment i want housing or i want to be talking to my kids why are we setting it up that the state would force people into a treatment situation when we know forced treatment only increases people's overdose risk when we know when we incarcerate people for drugs, and they go inside, that overdose is one of the leading causes of death for people that are incarcerated. Like, these are the things, or like when people come out of incarceration in that two-week period, overdose risks go up like 140%. Coercion is a risk, and as people who navigate drug policy reforms and social justice reforms, we all need to recognize that one of the things that is really crucial for our movement, for us to actually work to a vision of liberation, goes back to an essential morsel of what my ancestors and your ancestors knew, was that they should have the right and agency over their bodies. Mm-hmm. That is at the crux of the issue of drugs.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's Black History Month. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about DPA's work is that um, you all really do look to the past, but you look, you let the past inform your work um, around, you know, creating a freer and more dignified future for communities of color, but really for everyone. Similarly, we we renamed ourselves Envision Freedom because we, you know, we're really about looking to the future. Like, how do we get to the other side? That's part of our work. What do you envision for the post-war on drugs future, and how do we get there?
1: For the post-drug war future, when I think about the world after the drug war, I actually don't think that much about drugs. I think about uh, the communities that we live in. What do they look like? What, are, what do people have access to? Um, is everyone housed? Does everyone have the opportunity to sustain themselves and their loved ones? How are we talking to people? How are we welcoming of new communities and new people into our spaces? People that look different, sound different, have different abilities. I'm thinking about how have we navigated conflict? Um, how do we navigate conflict? How do we deal with people that harm others? Do people have the things that they need to thrive? I think that drugs are part of our society. And I think they will always be a part of our society. Whether or not drugs are criminalized or are used as an excuse to limit people's ability to be full participants in society, that is what is different in my vision after the drug war, that a drug conviction does not make it impossible for you to find housing, right? That people are not getting, people are able, they're like legal permanent residents are able to come back into the U.S. regardless of their relationship to drugs, right? Or that people who are pregnant who um, use drugs have the best healthcare that they can get. And that we're providing our parents who are struggling and having a hard time with the resources that they need to keep their families together. Um, that's what I envision. And I think part of that is because the war on drugs is not about drugs. Um, and that it's not just the war on drugs that ends, but that the war on poverty ends, the war on trans people ends, the war on immigrants end. You know, I think when I think about the the ending of the war on drugs, I think about the ending of the war against people that are not cis White Christian.
0: That's such a great way to, you know, wrap up our conversation. Where can folks learn about your work?
1: So folks can learn about us um, at www.drugpolicy.org. We're also on Twitter called drugpolicyorg, or on TikTok or Instagram as Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, you can follow me at cassandra underscore fred. You know, I think if folks are really interested in drug policy reform, you know, they should find their local harm reduction coalition in their states, their local uh, sex worker union, their local drug user union. Um, There's an amazing organization called the Hood Incubator that is like recruiting drug war survivors. Um, There are a lot of people doing a lot of great work out there. And so if you don't follow us, you don't have to follow us. Just follow someone that's working to end the drug war and really uplifting the rights of people who are. Um, navigating and engaging drug prohibition, which is honestly everyone. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: Cassandra, I could listen to you talk for hours, your your voice and what you say is fire, like a, it's like a, like a Rihanna album. So thank, <laughs> you, thank you so much for joining anyway. us. Um, and listeners, thank you for joining us until we're all free. Peace out.
1: Bye.
0: Thanks again for joining us. Dismantling Injustice is brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund, an organization that works to transform the immigration and criminal legal systems while meeting the critical needs of individuals impacted by these systems daily. To learn more about our work and donate, visit us at EnvisionFreedom.org. That's EnvisionFreedom.org. Dismantling Injustice was created by Sali Israel. Our executive producer is Abigail Wolfe. This podcast is produced and engineered by Yasi Solutions and hosted by Carl Hammett Lipscomb. That's me. Special thanks to the team at Envision Freedom for being amazing. Until we're all free, peace out.